wonderful Savior, Lord Jesus, that you um, are not only holy, but you died on the cross to pay for the penalty for our sins. And, and um, we want to build our lives upon you. Help us to keep our eyes upon you, Lord, and uh, not forget the great sacrifice that you've made for us. Uh, the atonement for sin that you, you delivered. And um, Lord, as we look to your word today, I, I ask that you would help each one of us to see uh, how climatic, how important uh, of a moment it was and it is. Um, it was that you died and rose again, but that will be uh, when you open the seven sealed scroll. And Lord, uh, only you, Lord Jesus, can usher us into a wonderful future with you. And so help us not forget and help us to see uh, this crucial moment uh, in the future that's going to take place. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're going to go back to Revelation. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 5 and... You know, uh, it's really, really hard when, when you have something really good to deliver and it just uh, isn't coming. And I was no help at all. <laughs> uh, the title threw me off. Uh, but um, I'm so glad that we went through and sang a really good song. Thank you very much. And, you know, as we could look at this passage, there's moments of why are we waiting? <laughs> Can't we just press on? And, um, you know, it's, I'm thankful we're looking towards spring, and we're looking towards, well, I think. <laughs> Some say, oh, hey, there's going to be a little bit of winter coming again here in a couple of days, All right? But uh, April 9th, we will celebrate Easter. And so we're beginning to look down uh, that path of what Jesus has done. And even when we come to Revelation chapter 5, we see what Jesus has done. But, you know, surely we're halfway through winter, right? At least. How many of you need to buy a new battery or had to this winter? You know, the extreme temperatures like Wednesday night will be can kill off a battery, right? It's no fun in the winter to try to replace a battery, a worthless battery. And the reason it's worthless, it's not doing what it was made to do. And so, it's, it's incapable of doing what it was created for, and therefore it's a worthless battery, right? Um, how many of you have, have thought about what worth or worthless means? We can go down a path and talk about how it should never be used in reference to someone. But worthless means, what it means is that something is incapable of or not able to do what it was intended for. You know, the biblical citizenship class on Wednesday nights with the high school boys, um, we learned about Captain Nathan Hale who volunteered to spy on the British who occupied New York City. 
He was a teacher, and so he traveled in the city as a teacher. But as he's volunteering, his friend said, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You won't be able to do it. You, can, you can't lie. But he did it anyway. Um, so he was a teacher. So he traveled around, and he made these maps of where the British troops were and, and their movements, and then he stuffed it into his shoe, and as he was... Uh, leaving the area, he was captured with all the information on his person. And so they set him to be hanged the next morning, the following morning, and he purposed in his heart to proclaim the cause of independence and made a great oratory speech. You know, having, having gone to Yale and having taught, he had, had learned to be a great oratory speaker uh, uh, speech writer and he was well versed at proclaiming things um, but even so he failed in his mission so it seemed I don't know what he's feeling I'm sure he felt desperate hopeless maybe even worthless but he purposed in his heart as he wrote letters and he was able to do that at least that he would proclaim why he was willing to serve in this way and why he was willing to die. And even as he was declaring these things, and, and there's a lot of things written about what he had said because evidently it was a long speech. <laughs> but the British troops were saying, man, why are you doing this? You wasted your life. You wasted it. Why? And so... Nathan Hale proclaimed, my only regret is that I have but one life to give. That's a familiar phrase, isn't it? You've heard it before, haven't you? My only regret is that I have but one life to give. Later on, Abraham Lincoln said, because of the sacrifice given during the Civil War, that we should give increased devotion to the cause for which they gave their last full measures of devotion. We should give increased devotion to the cause for which they gave their last full measures of devotion. This leads us to the concept of what or who is worthy of our increased devotion. We should all know that our worth stems from the worthy one, right? Our worth stems from the worthy one, Jesus Christ. And one of the greatest outworkings of who we are is to worship the worthy one. And so I would like to state it that I have only one life to give all in worship of the worthy one. I only have this time here on this earth. We have all of eternity, but what matters most is time on this earth. There's only one life I get to live on time on this earth before I am in glory. In that time, in that life, I want to give my all in worship of Jesus who is worthy. We could also say, let's give increased devotion to the worthy one. Where's your devotion? And if it's towards the Lord in any way, in any facet, in any capacity, is it growing? 
Well, I struggle with it. Just a question. When we turn to Revelation 5, we are thrust into a moment of intense concern for John as a pinnacle of the vision rests upon the need, the revealing and worship of the worthy one. And the intensity of the moment is is first set as the need is made known. And so we, we find in Revelation 5, 1 through 4, if you'll follow along with me, we find here the need for the worthy one. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. What we find here is the need again. (laughs) So let's focus on that. And what was the need? It was a need to open the seven-sealed scroll, which was written on the front and the back and sealed with seven, seven seals. In verse 1, it was resting in the right hand of God the Father. That is, the one who was in chapter 4 sitting on the throne the one with power and might and authority, the one who is going to judge. And one thing I forgot to mention last Sunday is when we think about the rainbow around the throne, we can think back in the Old Testament of when God made a promise with the rainbow that he would never flood the earth again in judgment. But he will judge again. It just will not be a worldwide flood. And so again, he is the one who will judge. He will dispense his authority and his power and his swift judgment. And so the one with the scroll in his right hand has all power and authority with great judgment. And it's an open hand, the Greek word there. It's an open hand. And some say we think of, we think of our Bibles, right? We think of a book. Uh, the word that we get Bible from, Biblio, right? Or Spanish language, biblioteca. We think of a book, right? But it's a scroll. And his hand's open and resting in his hand, willing to give it to the worthy one, is the scroll, the seven-sealed scroll. And it is suggested that there are, are seven pages or divisions with each with a seal, so one wrapped with the seal, another wrapped with the seal. When I picture it, I usually think there's a scroll and then there are seven seals on it. Well, no, there's, there's probably more accurately uh, a page or, you know, one part of it. It's a leather scroll like we had a couple of years ago when we were able to look at the scroll that was brought in, the Torah scroll. But it had one part seal one part sealed and up to seven of them and how does he see that then 
Well, some say, well, it's the seven seals on the outside. But I'd rather believe that you could see it, the seals at the one end, because of the thickness of the seals propping it open. It's written on both sides, which means that there is fullness of, of what's taking place in here. Or there's fullness and completeness within uh, the se- seven-sealed scroll. But no one is able, because of power and authority of God, to open these. That is, no one has right, no one has the authority, no one has the power to open it because of the seals, and better yet, because of the one behind, again, the, the one who, who holds it, the one behind the seals. Now, most contracts, marriage especially, were done in this way, where there'd be different divisions or different layers because it would make it a longer process of divorce. They would go through one reading, then they'd go through another, and they'd make sure that, hey, you cannot annul this. You cannot break this. But it's also for title deeds. The scroll holds in this scroll, therefore, what is within this scroll. Within it, are the judgments, as we see in the following chapters. And, and many say it's the title deed of the earth or inheritance to whom it is rightly due. You're like, okay, well, that's different than the judgments, right? Well, it's, they say it's what Jesus inherits, but it's also more specifically how he will inherit it. By what means this will come about. And so this leads to the search. Well, the worthy one, right? Which, which in this passage, there's, there's no one stepping forward. There's no one able to. And so there's this great climatic event where this scroll of importance is still resting there in God's hand. And so there's the search, the search for the worthy one in verse 2 and 3, the strong angel, uh, they speculate whether it's Michael or Gabriel, most believe Gabriel, and he cries out, who is worthy, worthy to open, worthy to break the seals, and again, I think it's important for us to, to think about how it states this, no one in all of creation is able to or worthy to. And so we have the emotions in verse 4, the emotional moment of uncertainty by John who walked with Jesus. And when you go to the Gospel of John who saw the glory, (laughs) right, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who not only walked with him, but saw him die and was raised again and saw him glorified. But there's this emotional moment of uncertainty. He cries out loud or greatly. He cries out much. He wailed because no one was able to open the book or to look at what was written in it. That is how important this scroll is. It's an intense moment. 
It's a crucial moment. It is the moment where we see the importance of our future. It is a plan that will unfold for the Lord to destroy the enemy and restore all of creation to its rightful place. And right or wrong, I think of Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, starting at verse 18, says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing, here in this moment there's this anxious longing, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who, who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. It's a struggle today, isn't it? And this talks about our glorification and all of creation's release from corruption and the curse. And that will not take place unless a scroll can be opened. We know who is able and worthy, and I believe John did as well, but it, it's kind of like that, that puff of air when you go to the eye doctor, anybody know that little machine? You know, you sit there and you got to put your forehead on it and then, you know, hold it there because sometimes you start anticipating. It seems like they take their time. They like to see you squirm and then you, you back off and then they can't do it. So you have to put your head up there and you have to keep your eye open and then poof, puff of air. You know it doesn't hurt. You know it's brief. Some of you are like, I've never had to do that. Well, praise the Lord for your good eyesight. But anyway, uh, but it's really hard. <laughs> and I think that's where John is. He, he knows that God is in control and that Jesus is powerful and worthy, but he cries out. And I, it's really important for us, just like we're anticipating that puff of air, we, we need to grasp the intensity of the moment. The intensity of the moment is about to explode into a celebration as the vision continues. And we have some of, some of these, and, and again, just, just to make a side note, some of these, I'm going to say who he is and, or what. There's some of these that are who and what at the same time. But getting back to it, as the vision continues, we see the revealing of the worthy one and a great praise that ensues. And so in verse 5 through 7, follow along with me again. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome that word where we get Nike. Well, Nike comes from, right? <laughs> that root word. Overcome, victory. He has the victory, but word here, overcome, so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. 
And so we see the revealing of the worthy one, and who is he? (laughs) We all know, right? But really, he is worthy because of who he is. And it goes into it just a little bit. But first, one of the elders said, stop weeping, man. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) It's not hopeless, don't you see? But John had been caught up in the moment, right? But who is he? He's the root of David, the rightful heir, only the one who's an heir of David as promised, as prophesied, could be the worthy one. And therefore he is a king. He is of the line of David, the root of David. He is a king. Where he stands is also significant. He is standing in the middle or the midst of the throne. Like There's a lot of discussion. Well, where did he come from? Well, we know he sits at the right hand of the Father, stands at the right hand of the Father, but we also see that he, John didn't see him there. And there's a reason. But as you see this image, there's a lot of questions. Well, how can a lamb, if this is what he's seeing, take the scroll? Well, we know it's Jesus. And some talk about, well, maybe he, tur- you know, he, he takes his human form. Or maybe God just wants John to see who he is and see the images. We do not know. There's a lot of things we don't know. But this, the image is significant, and that's what we need to grasp. And where he stands is significant. He is there beside the Father. And so where he is proclaims to us that he is the Messiah, God the Son, only the only worthy one able to be there. He is God the Son and Son of Man. What is he? Again, we already got into this just a little bit, but he is worthy because of what he is. A lion of Judah, right? It says the lion of Judah. He is a tribe. His tribe uh, was to have the Messiah. Remember when we talked many weeks ago about Shiloh? Jesus is the Messiah. Judah would have this power, this tenacious power from their, his line. Shiloh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And therefore, he will rule with power, he is strong, and he will judge. He is a lamb with seven horns. Well, horn represents power. Seven means there's perfection, there's completion. The lamb also has seven eyes. This is getting a little freaky, huh? Right? And it goes on to say, these eyes, the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been and still is involved in the ministry with Jesus. And he has wisdom and vision and therefore omniscience. And and the Holy Spirit goes out and roams and sees all that's going on and is still involved in creation and will be involved in the judgments and the things that take place during the tribulation. We also not only need to see what he is showing the right to rule, the power to rule, his omniscience and his omnipotence, but also what he has done places him where he is worthy. He is worthy because of what he has done. That is, he has overcome. And it says here also, he is a lamb standing as if slain. The lamb, not a sheep, 
the sacrificial Passover lamb, a young lamb. And it's interesting that when you look at the Passover lamb, they were to take this lamb and take it into their household oftentimes, especially if they're not in the country, and it kind of becomes a pet, and then sacrifice that lamb. Jesus is a Passover lamb. There should be an emotional connection to what he has done for us because of our love for him. And they, should have, they were to see the, the, the great sacrifice that they were giving to the Lord so that they could be forgiven. Pointing towards Jesus who is actually the only one who could pay the full price. So Jesus in his death paid the price and in his life conquered the grave. He bears the marks of his sacrifice. He could not be a lion if he were not first the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. He was able to take the scroll. It's so easy to pay attention to what is insignificant and miss what is important. I do that all the time. Anybody there? You know, I think this passage paints it beautifully in that, for some reason, John Mister was, was not allowed to see the lamb until the need was overwhelmingly known. Do we realize the relief and victory we have in Jesus? I think John experienced that, that need, and then that relief. So what do we pay attention to or devote ourselves to? Do we give increased devotion to the worthy one? The intensity of moment leads to intense worship here at the end in verse 8 through 14. I could probably spend a whole, uh, a whole period of time in worship on this, these verses alone and should sometime. Verse 8. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard say, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory, dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped him. 
And we see a progression. We see this new song uh, proclaiming the greatness of Jesus Christ, that he is worthy and what he has done and whom he has saved. And it goes on and talks about with more people jumping in in the praise and the worship of Jesus Christ because he is worthy. And then we see the praise of God the Son and the Father, both the Lamb and the one sitting on the throne. All of this, the beginning part, was towards Jesus and it ended with Jesus and the Father being praised. But it's towards the worthy one. The Lamb is able to open the seven-sealed scroll because he bought us with his blood, didn't he? Note verse 12, worthy to receive what? Power and riches, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. Verse 13, praise to the Father and Son. Blessing, honor, glory, and recognition that there's dominion forever and ever. And the worshipers, who are the worshipers? Well, we have the four living creatures and the 24 elders. And the elders, they fall down, they worship with their whole being. They, they fall prostrate before the Lord. I think of many of the prophecies where they saw a vision, they have no energy left, they fall flat before the Lord. But the worshipers also have implements, the 24 elders have harps and they have uh, full bowls of incense of prayers of the saints. Our prayers matter, don't they? Then we see all the angels, myriads upon myriads in verse 11 and in verse 13, all of creation. All of creation. Now there there are a lot of commitments we, we must make in this life, aren't there? The problem I often have, I, I would say we all have, is when we place some of those commitments or at least even just one of those commitments before the one who is the most important. That is, we, we fail to give increased devotion to the worthy one because we have to do other things. We have to be committed or devoted to other things. Well, those commitments are, aren't wrong just when we put them before Christ. I, we don't know what Nathan Hale felt like, do we? I don't know what he's thinking. He, he made this great profound speech trying to influence other people. Hey, it's, it's worth it if you give your life for independence, for liberty. It's worth it. He didn't fulfill his mission, yet he clung to, to why he was placed into this position. He believed in the cause of the American Revolution. Even if he did feel like he failed, his life still served a purpose for this nation. What purpose does our life serve? Ask yourself, what, what purpose does my life serve? Do you know? And you're like, yeah, I've known since I was, you know, we, you know so high. I've known. 
sometimes it's going to be hard to hold on to understanding that, that purpose or to cling to that purpose. There are going to be moments it's like, is it, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Oh, yeah. Are you serving the worthy one? If you are, then it is worth it. Mark 8, 36 through 38 says, and there's things that we live our life for and things that we place before Christ and we're going to always have this, this, this battle between uh, what we want to do, what we have to do on this earth, what we know we need to do, right? And doing it in the context of Jesus is more important. Nathan Hale really had a desire to fulfill his goal and he didn't. But he had a higher purpose. I hope our higher purpose is to worship, obey, follow, and stay in communion and a relationship with the worthy one. And so Mark 8, 36 through 38 says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. My challenge for you is make sure you keep your priorities right and that that right priority, you only increase your devotion to it, which is Jesus Christ. That you would continue to give increased devotion to the worthy one. When I read this passage it, and, and think upon it, um, a couple years ago, you know, there's a song that came out that, that comes from this passage. And um, we've had difficult years in between. And there's a lot of things in this life that make me think about how um, perhaps the Lord is returning soon. But in all of it, when I look at this passage and when this song comes to mind, it really helps me set my mind on Christ and want to increase my devotion to Him. Would you stand as we sing the song together? Would you shut this light off, Evelyn? Shut this light off. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Of 
come before you and we recognize Lord Jesus that you're more than worthy not only in the future as we come before you someday but today you're worthy of our admiration our love a relationship our fellowship with you and our increased devotion in Jesus name amen we have youngsters come forward, take up this morning's offering.